Now, if you'd please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. And please take out your order of worship, and on the back of that you'll see a place to take some notes. I've got the sermon outline there for you to follow along with, and you'll notice the top of that, it says, fill in the blank. My life would be meaningful if... Take just a moment and think about that. What would you write on that line to finish that sentence? My life would be meaningful if... Especially for our graduates. I know that's kind of the question that is sort of thrust at you a lot at this time in your life. And some people might fill in that blank with the words, uh, get married and have kids. My life would be meaningful if I could get married and have kids. Maybe for some people, you might fill that in by saying a high-paying job. That would be what would make your life meaningful. Or becoming rich and famous. Graduating top of your class. Or maybe you'd say, if I were smarter, man, my life would be more meaningful if I were smarter, if I were better looking, if I were more athletic, if I could help people in a meaningful way, if I could make a difference in the world. What would you put in that blank? Because everyone is looking for something worth living for. All of us are. And for some people, they look for meaning and for fulfillment and happiness in money, in success. Some people look for it in a relationship or in popularity or fame. Some people look for it in sex, a good time, maybe a good reputation. But the hard reality is that the path to true meaning and fulfillment in life is not a choose-your-own-adventure. Not every one of these paths that people choose will succeed in helping them live a life that matters. Many of the paths that we, paths that we pursue, that's a tongue twister, many of the paths that we pursue are a dead end. They're, they're, they're going nowhere. And the problem is that we only have one life to live, right? We just get one go-around on this world. So how do we know which of those paths is the best to pursue? How can we keep from wasting our lives trying to find true meaning and purpose and happiness? Well, thankfully, God's Word gives us the answer to that question. It points us down the right path. And in the book of Ecclesiastes... God's Word compares the right path with all these other paths that people might pursue. Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes, was the richest and the wisest king of all of Israel. He was wealthy beyond imagination. Nothing was beyond Solomon's reach. Solomon saw it all, he had it all, and he did it all. He was popular and he was feared. I mean, dignitaries and rulers from all over the ancient world wanted to be Solomon's friend. And he was also quite the ladies' man. So Solomon, he thought that he really had it going on. Yet with all of this, Solomon was more like Bono than Bill Gates. He still hadn't quite found what he was looking for. He asked the same questions that we are asking today. Who am I? What is my purpose? How do I live a life that matters? 
You see, Solomon wasn't just wealthy and powerful and popular. The Bible says he was the wisest man who ever lived. Yet still he was missing something. I mean, here, here you got the, the wisest man that ever lived. Life still had him stumped. He still didn't have the answers to these questions. He was missing something. So, like the stereotypical young person, Solomon set out on a road trip. I mean, how many movies are there out there about young people going off on a road trip to discover themselves, right? That's exactly what Solomon did. He went and, and tried to discover the missing piece to the puzzle. And the book of Ecclesiastes is sort of like his travel blog. Okay, they had blogs back then. Right? That, that, this is his travel blog on his adventures. So since we don't have the kind of financial resources, we don't have the time for the kind of expedition that Solomon went on for life's purpose, let's just tag along with him this morning. And let's see what Solomon discovered. Let's spend a few, time, a few minutes just hanging out with this guy who's been around the block a few times. He's seen what life is really all about. Just think of Ecclesiastes as life lessons from a 3,000-year-old man. And let's look and see what he has to say. Really, Solomon's travel blog for life is divided into four easy-to-follow categories. One, his observations. Solomon would say, hey, here's what I saw on my journey. And then his pursuits. Here's what I did. His conclusions. Here's what I decided. And then the benefits. Here's what I gained. And the first we see is his observations. What I saw. So before he left his 12-chariot garage behind and embarked on this road trip, Solomon paused to make a few general observations about life. And the first observation is that people come and people go. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Congratulations, graduates. Now go into the world. That, that's a pep talk there, isn't it? Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. So basically Solomon looks at the world and wonders what's the point. Everyone is born, grows up, gets old, and dies. And for what? It's just a meaningless cycle, just a series of births and funerals, births and funerals. So that's his first general observation. People come, people go. It may seem a little uh, morbid and it may seem a little bleak, but it's true. The second observation is that nature is basically a never-ending story. Look at verse 5. The sun rises, the sun sets, hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and it turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. So giving his previous observation, this is especially depressing. He's basically saying that you and I are here on this world for just a blip. We're just here for a second and then we're gone. But the sun, well, it's been rising and setting long before you were ever thought of. And guess what? Long after you're gone, it's still going to be rising and setting. Now, that'll make your life seem very sort of insignificant, won't it? And then we come to his third general observation. We can never be satisfied. People can never be satisfied. Look at verse 8. All things are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. We are constantly filling ourselves with things. More money. 
faster cars, newer phones, bigger and more high-def TVs, more romance, more friends, higher education, better jobs, bigger houses, and still we want more. Are we ever happy? Does there ever come a time in your life where you stop and just say, okay, I'm good, I'm done. No, nobody thinks like that. And Solomon is telling us that the good life is just an illusion because nothing satisfies. It's all meaningless, or as the message paraphrases it, Everything's boring, utterly boring. No one can find any meaning in it. Boring to the eye, boring to the ear. (laughs) It's very blunt. I like the way it puts it. And then his next observation is it's all just the same old story. Look at verses 9 and 10. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. Again, I like the way the message puts this. There's nothing new on this earth. Year after year, it's the same old thing. Does someone call out, hey, this is new? Don't get excited. It's the same old story. I mean, really, think about it. You know, you see like a trailer for a movie, and you're like, oh, man, I want to go see that movie. It's the next Star Wars, or it's the next Marvel movie, or whatever. You go and you watch it, and you're like, nah, it was, the first one was better. I mean, right? That's what we all do. It it, it never quite lives up to the hype. It never really... Rogue One did, though. I I will say that. It it definitely the best. (laughs) There's always an exception. But but Solomon is just saying life is B-O-R-I-N-G, boring. Same old, same old. People try to be cool. Kids rebel against their parents. We invent new ways to make ourselves happy, all patting ourselves on the back for how clever we are. But these are the same things people have been doing for centuries because it's all about money, sex, power, knowledge, war. It's all the same. Even the sins are the same. It's just that now we can Instagram them so that people can applaud us for our bravery. But it's all the same old story. And then finally he says, nobody remembers you when you're gone. Look at verse 11. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. So what's the point of earning a degree, getting a job, falling in love? You'll soon be dead and gone, graduates. (laughs) Even your name on that diploma will someday fade away. And even, if you've ever been to some of those cemeteries that are really, really, really old, you sometimes can't even read the names on the tombstone. So who's even going to remember or care that you were here? So Solomon comes to the conclusion there's no purpose to life. It's pointless, it's trivial, it's vain. The message puts it this way. Nobody remembers what happened yesterday, and the things that will happen tomorrow, nobody will remember them either. Don't count on being remembered. Of course, this was before Google. So it needs a little footnote. You can Google. Google doesn't forget. But basically, this is Solomon's general observations of life. Now, I have an observation of life. Hallmark isn't going to hire Solomon to write any graduation cards, right? (laughs) He's not, he doesn't have that gig. But being the wise man he was, Solomon asked himself, if all of this this is true, how can I be totally sure? How can I be totally sure there's no meaning, there's no happiness in life? How can I be totally sure that there is no way to live a life that matters unless I try to find out for myself? So he decided to dive in head first, and he tried out nine different pursuits in search for his significance. And we're going to go through them really quick. The first is knowledge. Look at verse 16. 
I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. So in today's terms, Solomon might say, I studied hard. I made the grades. I made the dean's list. I graduated the top of my class. But soon it wore off, and he realized that the more he knew, the more he didn't know. I mean, he never could solve the true questions of life. Like, is coral the, smart, the dumbest animal, or is it the smartest rock? Think about that. Or why is it that we drive on parkways but park on driveways? Have you ever wondered that? Solomon never found the answer to those questions. Let me know if you do. But really, he learned that knowledge doesn't equal power. That knowing may be half the battle, but the battle is a losing battle. So what's the point? He decided it's better to be ignorant and happy than to have all of this knowledge. Again, don't you feel inspired this morning? Then he said, okay, maybe the answer is not knowledge, maybe it's in pleasure. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. I thought in my heart, come, now I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. So after all the headache of studying, Solomon decided it was time to have some fun. It was time to party. You name it, he did it. He went bungee jumping, skydiving. He went to spring break in Cancun. He even went mudding and cow tipping. Scholars debate that last one, but anyway. He, every thrill that he pursued, would just, he had to top it with the next one. And it just, that adrenaline rush, he just, he just had to do more and more every time. It was all like cotton candy. It tastes great to the taste buds, but it doesn't fill you up. It doesn't leave you satisfied. You're always hungering for something of more substance. So the thrills would quickly melt away. And all he's left with is the realization that with all that freedom, there were consequences. Solomon learned what we all learn really as preschoolers, and that's that fun which doesn't last very long. So now you've got this wise king who has a headache from all the knowledge. He has a tummy ache from all the fun that he's had. And so he goes to verse 2, and he says, Laughter. That's it. Laughter. But he discovers that laughter is foolish. And he says, what does pleasure accomplish? So having fun only made Solomon sad because the fun doesn't last. So he thought, I'll cheer myself up. I will call all the best comedians in the land. And so he called all the best comedians. You think of your favorite comedian. He, yeah, that's who he, he just brought and surrounded himself with. And while the laughter was side-splitting, when the laughter stopped, his heart was still empty. The pain was still there. It, it didn't satisfy so then he thought, I'll try alcohol. Look at verse 3. I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind, still guiding me with wisdom, I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the days of their lives. So he's, he's letting us know, say, look, hey, I just wasn't out there getting wasted for getting wasted sake. It was an experiment, right? I mean, that's what he's saying. I'm trying to find, it's all for philosophy, right? And so like so many foolish people do, Solomon tried to numb the pain of his heart with drugs. He tried to fill the emptiness in his soul from a bottle. 
I mean, we're talking spring break level binge drinking here. Solomon would wake up every morning from another one of his drunken binges only to find that he was more depressed than he was the night before. And he was taking more and more alcohol to get him back to that same good feeling, yet the pain always came back when the buzz wore off. And he found out that there is no painkiller for the soul. So then he tried materialism. Look at verses 4 through 6. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself, planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks, planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water the groves of flourishing trees. Solomon's next thought was, I know, I need more stuff. Okay, if the, if the knowledge and the pleasure and the, and the alcohol and the comedy, if all of that's not the answer because it's just passing, it's just here today and it's gone tomorrow, maybe stuff. Something tangible. Something I can lay my hands on. Something I can collect. Something I can look at and play with and have in my garage or put out in my yard for everybody to see and think, boy, Solomon, he's really made it big. Look at that garden. Look at that house. Look at that new swimming pool. So he thought, I want stuff. I want a new bass boat. I want new wave riders. I want new four-wheelers. I want it all. But there's only so much time in the day to enjoy all that stuff, isn't there? And whatever you buy soon becomes outdated and obsolete, right? We always want the newest and the best. So Solomon ended up a slave to all of his stuff. Again, boring, emptiness. He who dies with the most toys still dies. So materialism isn't the answer. So then he thought, what about popularity? Look at verse 7. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born into my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. So basically, he surrounded himself with all of these male and female servants. He had this harem of women. Kind of like buying your friends, isn't it? I mean, he went out there and he basically bought an entourage that would make any Hollywood celebrity ashamed. I mean, that's what he surrounded himself with. He thought the more friends that he had, the better and more important that he'd feel. But he soon learned that fame is a fickle friend. And when your song drops from the chart or when the roar of the crowd fades, when your records are broken or when you run out of cash, see how many friends you still have. Popularity isn't all that it's cracked up to be. It's sort of like the story of the prodigal son. Remember that story? The guy went to his dad, asked for his, his portion of the inheritance, and he went out and he lived it high on the hog until he had no money and was left feeding the hog. But all of his friends abandoned him as soon as he ran out of cash. So popularity is not the answer. So then he turned to money. Look at back, back there at verse 8. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. Now, let me give you some facts. Solomon reigned in Jerusalem for 40 years. The Bible tells us that each year of his reign, Solomon received 25 tons of gold. Now, one ton of gold today is worth about $64.3 million. 25 tons over 40 years amounts to $64.3 billion. That's a lot of money. And that doesn't include all the money that he made from business, from trade, from the tribute that these other kings were bringing to him. Solomon was rolling in so much dough that he literally covered his throne with pure gold and inlaid it with ivory. His throne had six steps leading up to it. 
It had 12 lion statues, one on each side of each step, and a solid gold footstool. According to financial experts, Solomon was worth $2.1 trillion and is the wealthiest person to ever live. Solomon had money. Now, have you ever thought, I know I have, that if you just had more money, life would be better? That if you just had a little bit more, if you could just get that raise, if you could just cut that bill down, if you could just not have that car payment, if you just had a little bit more money, then some of your problems would go away. I think all of us at some point have thought that. Think of all that you could do with $2.1 trillion. Don't think of what the government would do with it, right? Because they would just blow it. We'd be in debt that much more. You can buy a lot of stuff. You could take advantage of lots of opportunities. You could travel the world over. But money can't buy you happiness. Solomon learned that cash was a counterfeit contentment. It can give you some means, but it can never give you meaning. So then he turned to sex. Look at the last half of verse 8. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well. The delights of the heart of man. I mean, Hugh Hefner's Playboy Mansion had nothing on Solomon's palace. He had 700 wives and 300 mistresses. He was the original player. I mean, any woman that caught his eye, he dated her and married her. And he added her to his collection. His lust for sex had led him to chase women who were anything but godly. And he married women from all these different cultures that worshipped all these pagan gods. And in the end, that's where Solomon's heart ended up. Despite the endless fulfillment of his sexual fantasies, Solomon remained unfulfilled. Sex may sell, but outside of God's design, it cannot satisfy the deepest longings of the human heart. But maybe power will. Look at verse 9. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. So as Israel's king, Solomon possessed a world of influence, and this power made him feel like a god. When he spoke, people jumped. Things happened. He could hire and fire. He could promote or demote. He could command armies and influence markets. Think Donald Trump, but with better hair. That's who Solomon was. But being the king of his own empire, eventually that lost its appeal. It became nothing. And so his wisdom finally led him to say in verse 11, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, And what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Now let me shoot straight with you, young people, and and all of us. All these things that Solomon tried can give you a temporary feeling of fulfillment. It can give you a temporary feeling of importance and happiness. But they are only cheap substitutes for the real thing. Our souls are like cups with holes in it. And the more you pour in, the more that drains out. And Solomon just couldn't pour fast enough to keep his cup full. And so he comes to his conclusion. 
Here's what Solomon decided. He finally wised up. He plugged in the missing piece to his life-size jigsaw puzzle and discovered that he was more than flesh and bone. He was more than hormones and drives. He realized that he was first and foremost a spiritual being. And he has three conclusions that are the keys, I think, for unlocking the door to a life that really matters. The first, he said, is enjoy life fully. Look at chapter 3, verse 12. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. So his first conclusion is that real lasting enjoyment and satisfaction can only be experienced when God is brought into the equation. Whether that's in your eating, whether that's in your working, whether it's in your studying, no matter what it is, if you bring God into the equation, that changes everything. Listen to some other Bible verses about how God wants us to experience and enjoy life. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. So our God is a God who relishes in giving His children good and perfect gifts. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul says God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God wants us to enjoy life. In Psalm 107, Let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for mankind. For He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. God wants us to enjoy life to the fullest. He wants us to take pleasure in the good gifts of His creation so that we are filled with gratitude toward Him. Even Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus wants you to have an abundant, full life. But the things of the world are such poor substitutes. Yesterday I was coming back from Augusta and I was in a hurry and I needed gas, so I stopped for gas in the interstate. The interstate. Is that, that's all I need to say, right? In I-20. So I said, well, I'll go back Gordon Highway. Well, there's nothing on Gordon Highway. And so I finally stopped at this raceway just past Bobby Jones. And I needed some gas. And I was starting to get a little hungry. I was going to be really late for supper. So I stopped there. to, And, and I th- I'm going to go inside and get a bottle of water to drink because I'm trying to be healthier, drink some water, not some Coke. So I get a bottle of water. But I, I was hungry. And, and hungry and healthy at a gas station, <laughs> they don't meet. So... What am I, I wanted something cheap, and I didn't want something that was too bad for me, so the donuts were out. But I saw the whole stand of all the little crackers, you know, the cheese and peanut butter crackers and all that. And I looked down through there, and I saw one that looked really good, and I thought, oh, that's what I want. That would, it's got the peanut butter in the cookie, you know, it's the, really healthy. And so I picked that up <laughs> and the water, and I went and I paid for it. And I got in the car, and I'm driving down Gordon Highway, and I'm trying to hurry and get home. And I open up the water and I take a drink and I open up the crackers. I put the first one in my mouth and I had to pull over and open my door and spit it out. It tasted horrible. I mean, I thought somebody tried poisoning me. It was awful. So I look at the expiration date on this thing. Now, I didn't dig that back to the back to pull this out, right? It was right there front and center, right on the little end cap, right there. You walk right past it. Who knows how many people walk past this thing? June of 2016. So think of like a cookie that's a year stale and peanut butter that's gone bad. And that's what I had, right? And, 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 and all I had to try to get that taste out of my mouth was a bottle of water. 
I would have traded that for a Coke. Uh, you wouldn't believe. I tell you that story because that's the way life is. You see these things that look good, and you think that's the answer. That will fill the hunger that I have. That will meet my need. And maybe it's convenient. Maybe it's cheap. Maybe it's what everyone else is doing. But we pick it up, and we think it's going to be good, and it's like poison. And what God wants to give us is His goodness that is so rich. God wants us to enjoy life. Life is meant to be enjoyed, not endured. And so many times when we're just, you know, when I'm just on the road and I'm busting through trying to make time, I'm eating not to enjoy it. I'm just enduring it, right? I'm just trying to stop my, my hunger. That's not how God wants us to live life. He wants us to live life in a way that enjoys it. Second, his second conclusion is take God seriously. Look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Now, he talks about fearing God. And fearing God is something we read a lot in the Bible. You know, we read that in the Bible a lot. And we think that fear is a bad thing. But fear isn't always a bad thing. Fear of losing a game can motivate you to play harder, can it? Fear of failing a test can motivate you to study more. And so fear has a place in our relationship with God. We need a healthy fear of God so that we give Him the reverence and the respect that He deserves. Solomon remembered that God is God. And he, had, and he wisely advises us to have that kind of fear that will keep us from just strutting into God's presence. Like we're all that in a bag of chips. It, it'll keep us from making promises to God that we don't really intend to keep. How many of us have ever done that? Maybe under the pressure of the preacher to come down front and make a decision or to raise your hand or to, I don't know, whatever. You made a promise to God that you really never intended to keep. And, and having this kind of fear of God, taking God seriously, will keep us from sowing the seeds of rebellion. Look at chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. Be happy, young man, while you were young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart, cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. In other words, young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want. Take it all in. But remember, you must give an account to God for everything you do. So refuse to worry and keep your body healthy. We should be afraid of living a mediocre, wasted life. And taking God seriously will help us avoid that tragic mistake. It will encourage us to truly live not just a full life for ourselves, but a life that truly matters for the kingdom of God. And his final conclusion was to seek God early. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth 
before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. And then look at verses 13 and 14. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every good deed into judgment, including everything, every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. This is a call to action from the wisest man who ever lived. He's cautioning us not to let the excitement of youth cause us to forget our Creator. Too many young people just think that they can live life the way they want to now. They can just squeeze every last drop out of life and that when you're older, then you'll settle down. Then you'll have time for God. Then you'll get active in a church. I think one of the greatest dangers for young people today is that mentality that they go off to college and they don't plug into a local church. They don't find a church to get involved in. And they think, well, you know, I'm just here for four years and then I'm gone, so why invest myself in a church? But then you graduate, you go off somewhere, you get a job, and you don't plug yourself into a church because you think, well, you know what, I'm not going to be here that long. I'm trying to work up the ladder. I'm going to get that promotion. I'll have to move again. Maybe when I get married and have kids. So then you get married and you have kids. But then, you know, the kids are little, you don't want to bring them to church, and then they get older, and then they're in travel team sports, and life just gets busier and busier. And then you think, we know what, when they graduate and we have the empty nest, then we'll get involved in church. And before you know it, you've lived your whole life. You've not been involved in a church. You've not plugged your life into a Christian community. And you find that you've wandered far from God. Young people, I want to encourage you to daily acknowledge God's right to rule your life to recognize God as the one essential ingredient for a happy life. And I hope that you understand just how badly you need Him. Not someday, not when you're older, not when life slows down, but today, right now, you need Him. Solomon learned that we have a limited amount of time to put God first in our lives. And the best part of our life happens when our relationship with God is your number one pursuit. That's what gives your life meaning. That's what keeps it from being boring and empty and vain. So don't put it off because you'll just be missing out. When we put God in charge of the areas of our life, that's when we experience true enjoyment. That's when we discover that we are living a life that matters. And that's what Solomon gained. And that's what you will gain. You'll see life clearly. When you're following God, it makes your priorities fall into order. You see what life is all about and you can see through the world's lies and you can discern the truth from the politically correct answers and you're able to make the right choices. Young people, I do not envy you today. I do not envy the messages that you get from so many different places. The messages you get from the media, from social media, the worldview that will be forced upon you by your professors who don't know and don't care about Jesus Christ. It's tough. But by following Jesus Christ wholeheartedly, by taking God and His Word seriously, you can navigate the maze of confusing messages. But you have to be intentional about it. I've seen too many teenagers go off who love Jesus, and they go off to college, and they come back disillusioned from church and distant from God. I promise you, young people, the world wants to warp your view of God and rob you of your values. And you will have to fight every day to keep a clear outlook on life. 
That's a benefit. You see life clearly. Another one is you'll discover your life's purpose. God will help you find the answer to those questions. Who am I and what am I here for? He will give you identity, purpose, mission, and a reason to live. God has a plan for your life. You are a child of God. If you believe in Jesus Christ and He wants to shape you more and more into His image and He wants to send you out, not just to get a good a degree from college. He's sending you out not just to live the American dream. He's sending you out to make disciples of all nations. That is the purpose of life. Never forget who you are as a child of God and what you're on this earth for. You'll also never lose hope because God is a loving, merciful Father. He will never give up on you. And through all of your hard work, your sacrifices, it will be worth it. Isaiah chapter 40 says, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. You guys ever get tired and weary? See, I told you all last week, even youths get tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And finally, the final benefit is you will enjoy lasting happiness. Not a happiness based on what happens to you, but rather one rooted in Christ and what He is doing through you. Solomon really did try it all. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. And in many ways, his life was a tragic waste. The world's wisest man wasted all those years on money, sex, power, parties, these meaningless pursuits. But eventually he wised up and he recognized the role God deserved in his life. But sadly, if you read the end of Solomon's story, he didn't take his own advice. And the story ends with Solomon separated and estranged from his family, his kingdom falling apart in civil war, and his heart is far from God because he pursued all of these false idols. I pray this morning you'll take an honest look at Solomon's empty pursuits and then take a step of faith towards wisdom. Solomon learned the hard way how to live a life that matters so that you don't have to learn it the hard way. So two things. First, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He is the way to a life that matters. He is the truth. He is the life. And you cannot find a meaningful, abundant, eternal life apart from Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if He is not the Lord of your life, if you are pursuing these other meaningless paths and you realize this morning, it's meaningless. My life has been meaningless because I'm trying to fill this, this void in me with all the things of the world instead of the things of God, then I invite you this morning when we sing in a moment to come and to put your trust in Jesus Christ. He alone can fill you up in a way that will never leave you empty. But second, commit yourself to following Jesus as your life's purpose. Following Jesus isn't just a ticket to heaven when you die. Following Jesus isn't just something you do on Sundays. Following Jesus is the purpose of your life. Keep Jesus on the throne of your heart as your life's authority, as your personal life expert. Because if you really want to do more than just make money, buy stuff, and live the American dream, if you really want to live a life that matters to your family and friends, to your church and community, to your country and world, to God and His kingdom for all time and eternity, if you really want to live a life that really matters, then fear God and do what He says. That is the life lesson Solomon eventually learned. That is the truth of Ecclesiastes. And it's the best word I can leave you with this morning. 
Fear God and do what He says.